Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we've got a great episode today. Yes, we do. We're talking about an artist that I'm super, super excited. Before we get into it, let's uh, go ahead and do our plugging. All right. Do your plugging. um, (laughs) We've got lots of other episodes to go check out uh, on similar artists. I would recommend that if you have not listened to our episode on Genesis... That will be a great companion piece for who we are talking about today. Oh, that's true. So, um, Grant, hopefully you've listened to it and have learned <laughs> a little bit of the lore before we get started. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll fill, especially yeah. those of you that are that are too lazy or have perfectly valid reasons to not go right. listen to it, then I'll, uh, I'll provide it. But it will enhance your experience if you kind of know some of the history from that episode. So, I think we should get to the episode. Yes. We have a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. Oh, man, do we have a lot to talk about. Oh, so, yes. who are we talking about this episode? We're talking about Peter Gabriel. Yes! So, the reason Lucas mentioned Genesis earlier is because, at least my understanding, he was a former Genesis member. Yes, he was one of the founding members. And he was... The singer. The singer. Okay. So, he was the original lead singer for Genesis, and when Phil Collins was just the drummer. Okay. And... When he was with the band, they became leaders of the very first prog rock scene. Ooh. And they were right up there with Yes and King mm-hmm. Crimson and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say Yes was the only prog band bigger than them at that time in the early 70s. This, mm-hmm. is, the, this is the first wave before Rush came around. Okay. So pretty much these were all the bands that, that inspired Rush to be a prog band. Oh, I can hear it. Kind of. So, especially um, in Rush's later stuff, I can hear it actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, Peter Gabriel's solo stuff definitely was a big influence on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but their his stuff with Genesis in the early 70s, I mean, that's laid the foundation for songs like 2112 and Right. So, and, so Genesis was a very different style of oh, music oh, than yeah. from his solo stuff. Yes. And so, there, there is some carryover. I think his his creativity and his 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 sense of humor mm-hmm. that comes across in his music. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> the and just the the artiness of it he carried right. over, but he he learned how to distill it into very digestible pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you listen Genesis prog stuff, and it's. It's very heady and very progressive, mm. but it's all really good. Someday we'll do another Genesis episode where we look exclusively at that era, and we'll do a bit of a deeper dive, but I love those Genesis records. Um, Foxtrot and Selling England by the Pound in particular are among my favorite prog albums, mm-hmm. and Peter Gabriel does sound very different. He sounds very young, first off, because he was, but in the sense of just, like, his voice is very wild Mm. and all over the place, in a good way, because it matches the music that they were making. Right. But it's not the mature sound that he has to his voice, as we're going to hear by the time that, you know, we hit the 80s, Mm -hmm. where he really knows how to use his voice in a commanding way. Right. So, So he left the band in the year... 70... I want to say it was 74. Oh, wow, that early. Okay. Yeah. 
And did he go straight to kind of a synthy? No. Okay. So he actually didn't release his first solo album until 77. Because he originally left the band to um, be with his first daughter that was born. Okay. He wanted to have time from his family. He didn't want to tour. And the band wasn't willing to wait around for him. So he's just like, okay, well. And I think his, his is because it was his first child. And I think she had like some health conditions. that was mm-hmm. like, you know, he wanted to be home. Right. Right. And he got into film scoring. It was just kind of, you know, more experimenting with that side. And then eventually it was just like, okay, well, let's, let's see what my own thing sounds like. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so his first four albums are actually untitled and they're oh. just, they're just known by the picture that's on the album. Hmm. So that first album had uh, Salisbury Hill and here comes the flood. Mm-hmm. Like that's from that first one that's people just call a car. Cause it's got a picture of a car on it. Okay. I couldn't really tell what that was. But it's okay. a, it's a, it's a car in the rain and you can see Peter Gabriel like behind the windshield a little bit. Uh, he looks very okay. sad or maybe he's sleeping. Um, there's, there's car, there's melt, which is like his face and like half of it is melting. Mm. Um, no, wait, that's the third one. The second one is scratch where it's, I can't even describe it. It's just, you have to look at it. Okay. And then the fourth one is called security, which I don't know why that there's nothing to do with security on that album <laughs> art. Um, but through those four albums, you can hear him really growing as a musician. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say that he, I mean, he grew in the early parts of Genesis, like, you know, but by the time that they were hitting their stride with the prog records, you weren't hearing like a ton of, of artistic growth. It was just, they were making, you know, Oh, that's a great album. Oh, there's another great album. There's another great album. Mm -hmm. Um, but in his solo work is where you really, see him start to just really find out what music is personal to him. Right. It's where he really started to get into world music, like examining African and Brazilian beats and mm. tribal music. Um, really among the first to bring that to the mainstream, kind of, huh. um, you know, that the, ver- the, the tribal drum patterns and um, bringing in you know, African and South American instruments. Like, cause everyone was, if they were going to pull from other cultures, they were pulling from the East. Right. And he was like, I'm not interested in that. Let's, let's look at this. This is what fascinates me. Do you think that's from his movie scoring career? No, he just happened to take a trip there okay. and was just fascinated by seeing all of it and, and going, I want to take this back home with me. Oh, okay. It was just from his travels. He just he picked it up as he saw it, and it was at this point that he really followed his muse. Muse. What do you mean by that? Um, muse is just like his. What gives him inspiration? That's okay. what, that's what a muse is. Is something that you draw inspiration from. He just kind of did his own thing. You mean? Yeah, okay. and you really start to see that take shape, and the grand culmination of that was 1986's so. Yeah, which and is you can, you can hear that. Yeah, which is crazy because you know it's what his fifth solo album. Mm-hmm. If you count all of the albums he did with Genesis, there was one, two, three, four, five, six. So this was his eleventh eleventh album. Wow, 
And it's the one that finally made him into a superstar. Hey, look at that. Don't give up. Exactly. Which is, <laughs> which is the title of one of the songs on that album. Don't Whoa. give up. That. That's a song we'll look that at. That wasn't even like a leading point or anything. We will get to that I'm song just... on another Peter Gabriel episode. Because okay. that's an incredible song. Okay. Um, but that's kind of the moment when he finally broke big. Mm-hmm. And, you know... At that point, Phil Collins had already established identity outside of Genesis and become a solo artist himself. And so it's kind of interesting to see these two front men of Genesis mm-hmm. have these monster careers outside of the band. And, and they almost sound kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're making instruments sound the way that they traditionally wouldn't be, especially yes. drums. Yes. And in, in the way that Prince did kind of the, the non-linear reverb on the snare and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, P- Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins together invented the gated drum sound. Hmm. Because I always attributed that to Phil Collins, but... Yep. Uh, Peter Gabriel was was there for it. His his name never came up in because, any of the documentaries that I watched about. Because the thing <laughs> is, is that that's where Phil Collins got the idea. He helped Peter Gabriel with um, with Scratch, the second solo album, hmm. and getting the drums to sound the way they did on that. And then the next year, in eighty, was when Phil Collins' first solo album came out, which had "In the Air Tonight." Right. And that was that was the moment when it because Peter Gabriel wasn't in the mainstream really as a solo artist yet. He was mm-hmm. still more of a cult right. artist where he was really big in the underground, but he wasn't on like radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but Phil Collins just immediately from his first solo album, he was a household name because mm-hmm. in the air tonight was such a huge smash success. And those were still live drums. Yes. That wasn't like midi sequencing. Okay. No, but he just, he knew how to get that to sound exactly the way that it was, that he wanted it to. Um, so, th- yes, Phil Collins was the first to bring it into popular music. But, you know, that origin goes back to him and Peter collaborating with each other. Hmm. And Peter Gabriel was a drummer first, before he was a singer. So he always made sure that the drums got special attention in the mix, that he really wanted to make sure that they sounded right. Hmm. Uh, through those first four albums, you barely hear any cymbals. Because he doesn't like cymbals. Huh. And uh, some a rule that he broke when he made so, because that's an incredible hi-hat record. Yeah. As we'll talk about in some of the songs. <laughs> yep. Yep. But, okay. But he was... Interesting. He was a very forward-thinking artist. He was always a, a step ahead of where everyone else was. Oh, clearly, yeah. Um, you listen to those first four solo records, and it's you're hearing where everyone else was about to be. But then also at the same time, everything he was doing was a bit smarter than what everyone else was doing. Mm-hmm. There was just, there was this extra level of detail, of intricacy. Right. Of, There's so many layers. Yes. And just, he does, he's never written a traditional pop song. There's always something about it that's just, that stands out as being unique. That mm-hmm. is just like, you listen to it and it's just like, oh, that's an interesting take on that. Uh, what do you mean non-traditional? Because I think almost all of the songs that we are going to talk about are pop songs. Well, I mean, yes, they are pop songs, but they're not the, your normal, you know, here's the, here's the hook. Here's, here's the keyboard line. You know, it's not the traditional chord structures. Oh, it's not obvious. Yes. Of the different 
things. Okay. Yes. No, and, yeah. and he's also got people that are – he's got musicians behind him that are playing their butts off. Oh, yeah. No. So let's talk that. Let's talk about his band. Okay. But, one of the, yeah, let's one talk of the, about his band. One of the best <laughs> backing bands that anyone's ever had. I feel like you said that about Elton John. Yes. Well, that was also true, but like – Okay. But in this instance, I'm talking about guys that on their own are among the greatest of all time on their instruments. Okay, so who are we talking about? So he didn't acquire this band all at once. It's kind of as his solo career went on, he he zeroed in on different musicians and went mm-hmm. like, okay, now you're part of my band. And once they, once he made that decision, they stuck with him. Mm-hmm. And by the time he got to sew, that was when his normal lineup of musicians was secure. And from that point on, for the most part, has used just that group. How many musicians does he have? So, uh, really only three other main musicians. Because Peter Gabriel recorded a lot of the piano himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, you know, he would bring in a lot of session players to do, like, random stuff like the horns. Or Mm -hmm. if he wanted a specific bass part, he would bring in someone else that he knew would give a more unique interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, he would sometimes bring in a different guitar player just to give it the flavor that his original guitar player just isn't in his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That's how dedicated he was to the music. The music. Mm-hmm. It was, and it also shows how humble his bandmates were. Yeah. They were willing to step aside if they weren't the right bass player or drummer. <laughs> that or, would freak me out I'd, uh-huh. I'd just be like hey let me learn the bass line let me mm-hmm. do the bass line but, or you would feel yeah. like well you feel almost like you're about to get replaced yeah mm-hmm. so but of course they never did so yeah, they never did yeah so the the one guy he's had ever since the beginning is tony levin the bass player okay tony levin i would say he's top 10 greatest that's ever lived on mm. the bass i mean he this, writes good bass lines this guy is a monster absolute monster you mean as far as composition or as far as technique or both Both. okay because he writes all his bass parts and and also the way that he plays them is was very revolutionary he used a lot of um a lot of unnatural ways of of playing which Hmm. I'll, i'll talk about in one of the songs there's a way that he plays it that is just like how would everyone ever think to do this okay um, but he was with him ever since, but he was also bass player in King Crimson, not originally, but he became one. Mm-hmm. And then, um, where I really grew to love Tony Levin was with his work in the small little side project called the liquid tension experiment. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Where he, uh, paired up with three members of the band dream theater and they just made all instrumental music, and the bass work on it is just, like, disgustingly good. <laughs> That's crazy. And um, he's someone that you just, you listen to him play, and you're just like, what a incredible mind for the bass. <laughs> like, he just, he knew, he knows how to write bass lines that no one else is going to think to play. Mm-hmm. His, his way of comp- composing what he's doing, like... Um, when I first heard the isolated track for the baseline for Sledgehammer, mm-hmm. I was like, what the heck is this? Because mm-hmm. I never noticed that the baseline did that. Mm-hmm. And it's a baseline that I in a million years would have never thought to play. But yet it sounds so good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So then we also have um, Manu Kache 
as his drummer. It's French, French, uh, French drummer. Oh boy. And he joined whenever he was recording when they were making so. So he was kind of like the more recent person. Mm-hmm. But he was a, a legendary session drummer before then. And he was the reason Pierre Gabriel wanted him was because he heard that he was the best drummer in Paris. Oh, gotta have the best. Yep. <laughs> and so and so he was like, Well, I gotta have him on my record. Right. <laughs> and he's gone on to play on a lot of great stuff. If you listen to our Tears for Fears episode, mm-hmm. we have a, a song where those guys grabbed Manu for that. Mm-hmm. Um and also a really cool thing is that uh, my dad had a band in the Christian music uh, mm-hmm. area, and they yes. got they got Manu Cache to play on one of their songs. Oh wow! Look at that. Yep. Because they, my dad is a massive Peter Gabriel fan. He's the one that introduced me to him. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, all the whole group they loved Peter Gabriel, and mm-hmm. so it was it was almost like a dream to like let's get Manu to play on a song. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Look at that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm four steps away from Peter Gabriel. Yep. Yes, you are. I'm three. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. You know, don't have to rub it in. But <laughs> so, uh, but he is a really, really great drummer. He has mm-hmm. a very unorthodox way that he approaches a lot of his parts. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really get to see that in this set, but it's something that when we return to Peter Gabriel in another episode... We're going to really spotlight on some of the bizarre rhythms that Manu mm-hmm. comes up with. Okay. Because I want to say that only one song in this set Manu plays on. Hmm. So. Really? And that's Sledgehammer. Okay. Because he doesn't play on the other two so cuts from this set. And I'll explain why when we get to him. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, if he's the best drummer. Yeah. Now, he he does he does play on other songs on the album, just not on right on the ones that I picked. Okay, um, and then the last guy, uh, David Rhodes, who's his guitar player. Which the guitar, as you'll hear, is usually never. It's never at the forefront. The forefront. Well, there's a couple points where it kind of plays a more prominent role, but it's never at the forefront. I would say it's in the uh, it's in the two songs from Car. The first Peter Gabriel solo record. So probably Salisbury Hill and Here Comes the Flood, I would say, are the two ones in the set where the guitar is the most at the front. And there's the outro to one of the So songs has a very prominent guitar part. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll talk about it. Yeah. But, um, and then so I guess... But he's but he's he's kind of a secret weapon. He's just okay. He's really great at just texturing everything with exactly what it needs. He's a very selfless guitar player. He's not saying, I gotta get my big flashy solo in here. <laughs> hey, I mean, big flashy solos are sometimes important. Yes, but... Not all the time. Clearly not all the time. Yes. From these songs. Yeah, I mean, I don't at all ever hear these songs and go, oh, where's the solo? Yeah, no, me neither. Wait, even as like a guitarist who's big into heavy metal, and there's always gotta be like eight solos to every song, I, this, these were not lacking any guitar parts. Yeah. There was nothing lacking, I should say, in any of these songs. Mm-hmm. More so than most of the artists we've covered. Yeah. Um, and so I guess then Peter Gabriel does all the synth stuff himself. Yes, a lot of it. Okay. You know, if if some if he wants something very specific, he'll have again someone come in 
but for the most part, he's doing all that. He's writing all the lyrics, um, obviously, and doing the vocals. Oh, he's doing vocals, yeah. But I just, the, the sense that I always get when I'm listening to Peter Gabriel is that this is smart pop. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is the good kind of pop. Yes, this is the stuff where it's like, this is what the mass audience should be listening to. Because yep. it's good, it's catchy, it's meant for it's, a larger audience. It's meant for radio airplane. But, at the same time, it's rewarding kind of the people that dig a little deeper. Right. And it's, sat, and it's appealing to the musicians that want something more complex and more interesting. Right. And so, this is... I feel like him and Tears for Fears really scratched that itch for me of just guys mm-hmm. that knew how to write sophisticated pop music. Mm-hmm. And this is another example of when I say I love pop music, you know, it's people like Peter Gabriel that I think of. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, he's one of my all-time favorites. I love his voice, just the tone that it has, the way that yeah, it's very unique. You know, mm-hmm. you could pick Peter Gabriel's voice out anywhere. You, okay. I mean, he sounded a lot like Phil Collins to me when I first heard these songs. Yeah. I mean, that's why I, I guess it was Genesis or Phil Collins. They do have similar voices, but to me, I can I can tell the difference pretty pretty distinctly. But mm-hmm. that's also because I'm very, very familiar because, with both yeah, of them. Yeah, right. I can tell the little, the, the, the differences. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so we'll go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, uh, let's look into the songs. We have a lot to talk about the songs. Yes, yeah, we do. So, so stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Peter Gabriel and his band, and now we're about to get into the six songs that we chose for this episode. So, what do we mean by that, Lucas? So, these songs are going to be the best first uh, helping that you could have if you've never listened to Peter Gabriel before. So we're not like getting into the super experimental cuts or the deep cuts necessarily, even though sometimes I might throw one or two in there. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is going to be, if you've never listened before, this is where you start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well as, I like to sequence these songs in a way to where there's emotional flow from start to finish. The songs transition well from each other, and um, there's, just a, there's, there's just a good feeling about them to where you get to the end and there's just this catharsis. Yeah. So you keep using that word, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the correct word. Right. That's what that feeling is. Okay. So um, the way that you can listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode that goes to our Spotify playlist. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll also find all the songs from the other episodes that we've done. But if you've never listened to these songs, or even if you have listened to them, please, either before we start talking to them or after we talk to them, whatever is your preference, go listen to them. It would be a shame if you heard us talk and you didn't experience the songs firsthand. Yes, especially these songs because they are really 
an experience more so than a lot of the other bands that uh, we featured because there's a lot of different intricacies that we really can't speak to in, you know, an hour and a half. Yes. So definitely go experience them for yourselves. All right. So we're going to start off with a good old hi there. <laughs> yeah. So that is the opening line, a uh, spoken word of big time, uh, which is our first song of this yes. set. It's off the So album. Yeah. Uh, this, I just thought it would be really appropriate to start off the set with, him introducing himself <laughs> greeting everyone yeah because surprisingly this is not the opening song on the album oh my gosh that would have been great it's actually kind of towards the back half of the record but it just it seems so appropriate it's a great way to like just start the song off with a ton of energy and a lot of fun oh this yeah. is a fun it's a song. fun song and the way that he does like little lyrical Wordplay is really funny. Yes, this especially was the, the opening verse. It's just hilarious. This was the first time that I ever saw you laughing. Yeah, <laughs> because you liked the the clever wordplay that was. Well, going I on. laughed at the beginning of Year Zero, but that had very little to do with the song. Yeah, so. and, you already, and you already knew that song. Well, yeah, but um, uh, so yeah, he obviously does a, a big time. He talks about big things and small things, and yeah. So it's and, just it's uh, a it's a it's. It's a parody of the of the rise of the of the pop star and thus their ego and everything around them. Right. So it's it's you know there's a lot of songs that that sing very seriously about you know I'm from a small town and I want to make it big. I right. have dreams that are bigger than where I've been. Right. I'm gonna leave these little people behind and and make it in the big world. I'm gonna make something of myself. In my the dream. Big big city. Yes. And so. It's almost like he's now doing this as, you know, almost like making fun. Um, but at the, yeah. but then ironically, that's exactly what has happened to him at this point <laughs> in his career. Right. <laughs> this is the album that made him big time. Right. And this song, just because of the energy and the different intricacies and layers that happen, and the hilarity of the song. Yes. That makes me kind of want to sing along to it as well. Uh-huh. It made it to my favorite spot. Ah, so so this we start off on, on so the we best. start off with the best, right? Um, this, and we also end with some of the best too. Oh so. yeah, uh, my this is I would say this is my second favorite song on on the set. Um, this is actually the first Peter Gabriel song I ever heard. This is oh, me too. When oh yeah, <laughs> when my dad introduced me to Peter Gabriel all those years ago, this is the song that he chose to show me first. Mm. And I remember like from the very first time I heard it, going, "Whoa, this is a really cool sounding song." And I wasn't even listening to a lot of that kind of stuff yet. Right. Just that song kind of always stuck with me. I was just going, "This is a really cool sounding song." It it really gets your head bopping. It gets you moving. I remember um, after I listen to the set all the way through mm -hmm. the next day i went to classes and and my morning commute for like that whole week all i did was listen to that song like to and from classes yeah because it made me just want to like feel good about life uh -huh. and stuff it was just it was it's such a funny song yes i've i've been stretching <laughs> my mouth to let those big, big words come right out yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's just it's very um it really shows that his sense of humor, that it's, you know, right. he's in a way doesn't take himself super seriously, but 
But at the same time, it's like yeah, this the music is, is the music is crafted so well. Let's talk about the rhythm section. In yeah, this so song. let's talk about the baseline specifically. Yes. So um, when it comes in that breakdown, mm-hmm. partway through the first verse, it's almost like there's almost it's it's like there's it doesn't start off with a verse because it's almost like the chorus, but without like but without the backing vocals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's that break, and then the bass just starts thumping. So the way that they are playing that is that he's actually using drumsticks on the strings hmm. while he's fretting. Huh. And he, <laughs> he created this That's new... That's like a Foo Fighters kind of thing. <laughs> he, he created this new thing where he's got this, like, glove that have, like, these long wooden sticks on the end. And he mm-hmm. just, like, does that to, like, give it this percussive feel. Hmm. And so he invented that technique. And it's, I didn't even notice that. I've seen him, I've seen <laughs> him do it live. And I'm just, I look at it, I'm just like, how could you ever play accurately with that thing? It just shows how inhumanly good he is at the bass. Right. And you just, you hear how it's moving around. It's, it's just, it's incredible. And then uh, we actually have a guest drummer on this song. Okay, there we go. A very, one of the most famous drummers of all time. Who is? Stuart Copeland. Who is? The drummer for the police. Who is? Oh, no, just for those who don't know, I know who the police Good are. Good lord. I know who the police are. Uh, if you don't know who the police is, go check out our episode on the police. <laughs> okay, there you go. One of the biggest bands of all time. Um, and uh, I'm Also gonna... very prog, right? No. Well, okay. N- new wavy. New wavy, yeah. Yes, they were, um, they were among the leaders of the new wave. I've heard them been, uh, being compared to Rush a lot, so... Well, uh, that's, because, that's because uh, Rush made a lot of their change in the early 80s based on the fact that they love the police. Okay. That was Neil Peart's favorite band at that point in their career. Okay. So you hear a lot of that influence. Um, anyway, so he's drumming on that song. So he's drumming on this song. And uh, just the rhythm section just pounds throughout this yep. whole song. And it, it really, surprisingly, doesn't change hardly at all. No, but it's but at the same time... like. But it doesn't get old. No, and I really love the way that he completely changes the melodic structure for the second verse. Mm-hmm. That it's not just a retread of, you, you know, mean Peter Gabriel? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Melodically, that he like you know the whole part of when I show them around the house to my bed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Snow white pillow for my big fat head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this song always reminded me of. Um, that scene in have you seen star trek 4 no the voyage home Uh so they go back in time for really complicated reasons but they're from the future so they don't understand like san francisco life and how you're not supposed to like cross in front of a moving car and they just don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. at all and music like this is playing in the background so it it, Hmm. even more so as the comedic effect of i'm also envisioning you know these people from the future not understanding how to walk across the street. Yeah. So, um, but it always reminded me of that. Um, if any listeners actually um, watch Star Trek, they probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I just, I love that the message of this song is that the guy, when he accomplishes his dreams, he becomes like this giant a-hole. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> that it's like, it's actually like the worst thing that could have happened to him. Like, he's not talking about, you know, yes, I made it, you know. Uh, like, he is, but he's, it's from such an arrogant, 
egotistical mm-hmm. viewpoint. Like he's, he's, he's got all the big names coming to his big parties. Yeah. And Tell them how my life is one big, big adventure, adventure and always they're amazed. Yeah. Um, you know, he talks about my heaven will be a big heaven and mm-hmm. I will walk through the front door. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so entitled and so pompous. Right. But and it's just it's what happens to so many people when you know money and fame and success is given to them without measure. Right. It some people it completely corrupts them. Right. And I, it's almost like he's maybe wondering if that'll happen to him. Huh. Okay. So, you That's kind of scary. <laughs> and it's just it's you know, the, the way that the song ends with everything continuing to get bigger, 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 right. bigger. You know, my house is getting bigger. My my car is getting bigger. My, my belly's getting bigger. <laughs> and my bank account, you know. Right. And, and the way he ends with, look at my circumstances, almost like he's saying, help, it's getting too big. Mm-hmm. Right. So, did you, uh, have you watched the music video for this song? I have not. Oh, man. <laughs> the, I didn't know there was one, actually. Yes, the music video for this song is a treat. Go look it up. Same with you listeners. This is one of the most bizarre music videos that mm. anyone has ever made, which we're going to talk about more again in the with next our song. next song. I think, that's, I think actually, that's a good song. That's a great transition to the next song. Um, the next song is off the same album, so, um, and it is titled Sledgehammer. Yes. This so, is my favorite song of the set. There you go. This so song, why is that? Because the song just feels so good. It does. And this, that's, that's why the previous song was, was my favorite. Yeah. But yes, this one also feels really good. Um, I've I've just I've listened to this song so many times. Mm-hmm. I would say this is probably my son's favorite song of all time. <laughs> and we watch me and him even watch, more than Dance Macabre. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, if you ask him what his favorite song is, he'll say Sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. me and him watch the music video all the time. It's his favorite music video. Yeah. So anyway, the reason why that was an important transition is because the music video for Sledgehammer is a long four-minute sequence of stop-motion animation. Insanity. And it took them, what, like two weeks? Yeah, maybe longer. To to actually put that thing together. And if you watch it, you'd see why, because they have to like put makeup on him to do different animations in some of the scenes, and they have to worry about what syllable he's pronouncing, and... There's just there's so there's much so going. much that goes into it. Yeah, the whole thing is stop animation. They never they never actually take camera footage. There's there's brief moments where they do, um, but it's very very sparse. But I think this also just shows you know how crea- dedicated he was, dedicated well. and creative yeah. he was, because that that video and that song is is what propelled him to superstardom. Mm-hmm. It was his. And it still is his only number one single. And it was it had a lot of um, MTV airplay. Or, yes, it's yeah. the most played video in MTV history. Wow. <laughs> Even more than Thriller. Look at that. Yep. Well, I mean, Thriller was so long that you could only play certain, it so many times in the time slot. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's got like three minutes of footage on both ends. Oh, right. Yeah. It's like a movie. Right. Um, but yeah... Sledgehammer is is an incredible video, an incredible song. Mm-hmm. So this song, and if you've listened to previous episodes, I love talking about songs like this that originally were not going to be on the record. 
Ooh. and were written literally uh, as they were finishing the album. Kind of like Light My Fire. Yes, exactly. Well, no, Light My Fire wasn't that way. Okay. I mean... Uh, it, paranoid. It was, yeah. Paranoid was that way. Uh, if you listen to our police episode, we talk about every little thing she does as magic was like mm-hmm. that. And... I guess, yeah, The Doors won Light My Fire. That that kind of was. Kind of. But, but they already by, knew yeah. that they needed more space okay. on the album. The, in these instances, I'm talking about the album was pretty much done. And they were ready to say, okay, we're done, let's go. And for whatever reason, you know, either the producers say, hey, you know, we need a hit. Can you write a hit mm-hmm. song mm-hmm. real quick? Uh, Run to the Hills, Iron Maiden was the same way. The album mm. was pretty much already done. And they just wanted an advanced single to be playing before they went on tour. So they're like, here, let's write this song in 30 minutes. That's like one of my least favorite songs from that album, though. Yeah, but it was... But it's good. Biggest, but it was the biggest because song Because it's on a the great album. album. Yeah. You know? uh, I mean, yeah, it's not the best song on the album, but it was the biggest song on the album as far as radio. It's probably the biggest song they ever had on the radio. That's true. Because they weren't ever the really a radio band. That's true. So, but Sledgehammer was the same way. Uh, they had actually packed up the studio. Huh. And um, Peter was talking to Tony Levin and was like, hey, I've got this song that I want to put on the next album. Let's, like, jam it out real quick and see how it feels. <laughs> and so they start jamming Sledgehammer, and they were like, oh, man, we really like this song. You know what? Let's unpack everything. Let's <laughs> let's just record the song. Let's bring in this horn section. Oh, yeah, there's... Some serious horn stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, this is uh, Peter Gabriel loved soul music, and so this was like and there's there's like sixties yeah. seventies throwback. It was there, an intentional. Yeah, there is kind of that soul homage. choir. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you know they were just like, hey, let's let's make this song real quick because we really like it. It ends up becoming the big song of the album. So I always like hearing those stories that the one that they never intended to put on the album right. becomes the defining song of that album. Pour Some Sugar on Me is the same way. Yeah. So, um, And Paranoid, like we mentioned earlier. That's uh-huh. crazy. Um, and this this is arguably his biggest song yes. ever. This it is, is his number one. It's the only number one he had. It's the, it's the song that brought him an entire new generation of fans. Right, because, like, he wasn't big on his solo career yeah. before this. I mean, again, he had a huge cult following, was big mm-hmm. in the underground, but he had not hit, like, super mainstream yet. Mm-hmm. You know, he had, had videos on MTV, but, you mm-hmm. know, they weren't, like, huge videos. Yeah, yeah, nobody cared, yeah. Yeah, but once Sledgehammer came out, all of a sudden, everybody was a Peter Gabriel fan. Right. Okay, I can see that. And it's Sledgehammer that's the one that did it. Mm-hmm. So... I would say it's probably the most important song of his solo career because then it opened up the floodgate for him to get a lot of other hit singles off that album because it was the first single. Right. Oh my gosh, that's so true. And he 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 credits Sledgehammer with people taking a chance on a lot of the other songs on the record that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have been hits had Sledgehammer not kind of almost literally as its namesake busted down the wall. <laughs> Oh, man. So, what is Sledgehammer about? I think it's about a man is trying to profess his love for this woman. And he's like, I will give you, like, I'll be like the airplane if you bring the blue sky back. Like, he lost somebody, and he's like, 
Ah, sad. I don't know. That's my guess. Whole song's about sex. Okay. <laughs> you can have a steam train if you just lay down your tracks. Okay. You can have an airplane. Show me around your fruit cage, because I can be your honeybee. Oh. Show for I me, was, and I'll show for you. I, I was I was hoping that it was more wholesome than that. And I was hoping it was chauffeur like chauffeur. You could have a bumper car bumping. But like bumper cars. Like, but that's like, the thing. That's though. like a middle school date. But here's like, the thing. I like I like the way he's wearing it because it's not a hundred percent obvious. It's right. not like, you know, A C D C where they make a double entendre yeah. and you're like, I know exactly what you're talking about and it's oh, disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Like, he's he's being subtle enough to where, again, like, I don't feel guilty about my three-year-old son listening to it. Okay. Because he's, it's, you know, he sees it as a literal airplane, a literal train. Like, he sees the music, he's like, there's the train! <laughs> there's the airplane! Oh. <laughs> so, you know, but, yeah, and, and, of course, you know, the music video doesn't get... Explicitly. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, like you it know, shows as literal as well. You know, and also those other bands, they would have filled it full of you know nearly naked women and booties in the camera and right. You know, just to say you know, in case you didn't catch, this is what it's about. Right. And uh, I think then you know because of the fact that they kind of did this song last minute, it kind of allowed it to be a bit more simple, a little mm-hmm. bit more. Because I would say it's also like the most straightforward hit that he ever had. Yeah. There's not really... You can tell where the chorus starts. Because mm-hmm. there's a very cl- clear chord change as yeah. opposed to like big That's, time. It's a great chord change. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the song that Manu Kache plays on. And uh, the way that he would play is he would always record things in one take. Mm. And so... And, I mean... I can and, see why. And he was always told to play this way, play like this drummer, or play to this style. And he said that when he was working with Peter, that he said, just play it how you would play it. Mm. And he was like, well, what does that mean? He's like, just play how Manu would play. He's like, no one's ever told me to do that before. And so he did the take, and Peter was just like, oh, that was awesome. Let's do it again. And he was like, but I already did it. It's done. I played it to the best that I can. There's no reason to do it again. But then he did it like eight more times because Peter <laughs> told him to. We've talked about bands that do things in only a couple takes. Mm-hmm. Peter Gabriel was not that way. Mm. There were some songs on that So album that had a hundred different versions. Mm. Because they couldn't huh. settle on what song structure they wanted. Okay, I can relate to that <laughs> a um, little bit. And they would just they would they would do takes over and over and over and over again. Yep, refugee. Yep, <laughs> the refugee exactly. Uh, man. So, um, but yeah, this this song just it's really fun. It's high energy, mm-hmm. and I this is I love this song for the fact that this is what opened the door, what broke down the door with a big old sledgehammer, right? So from there, I think we can move on to the to next, the next song. song, which is off the album. It's off Scratch, right? No, it's off Security. So it's the off fourth, Security. The fourth one. Okay. Um, Shock the Monkey. Yes. This was my least favorite one. 
this is the one that is just the most interesting to me because to me this is this song is almost like an exercise because again let's let's it's almost like let's keep everything as minimalistic and as repetitive of, as possible let's still make a great pop song out of it I, I actually can see that I actually really like this song this is one of my favorites on the set okay <laughs> just because again this is a song that it's less about like listening to all the parts but it's about just kind of getting lost in the in the experience of it in the sound it's like it's let it let it take over you mm-hmm. okay. which which patterns well with the lyrical content so there's a lot of people that uh, debate on what this song is about I think it, what does shock the monkey mean? I think it is part of him being humorous and he was on a safari one time and he said no don't shock the monkey so it's like an animal cruelty song no it's more like a i don't i want to take a picture of the monkey but don't shock it because i want to no there's there's no i don't know the monkey is not a monkey The the monkey is the animal side of people it's the uh it's the the side that feels like primal instincts um lust and anger and jealousy and Mm -hmm. about trying to control it Mm -hmm. when that side comes out you shock the monkey and subdue it so that way your rational human side Mm -hmm. prevails Mm -hmm. and he is saying don't do that so he's saying you know that well he's just saying that's what we do oh okay okay we we shock the monkey so that way we don't devolve into animals tearing each other apart Okay, that makes sense. That's kind of intelligent. Yeah, again, that's, he, that's Neil Peart kind of lyric, right? Yes, there. it is. Uh, he was very clever lyricist, but yeah, just the that that keyboard, that bum 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 bum, I do and yep. the the drum beat and everything. Yeah, moving. the drums are very gated on this one. Yes, extremely. And those of you listening, you should definitely listen to this song because it's kind of like the in the air tonight uh-huh. kind of gated. Yep. Especially with the dum dum toms, you can really hear it. Yeah. Um, Again, this is this is a song that it's if you try and listen for like the parts, like because we're coming off of big time and sledgehammer, where it's very part heavy. There's like a million synths at once, and this one there's not so much. Yeah, it's it's like you said, it's minimalist. Yeah, and it's kind of where he was going for in that early part of his career, hmm. uh, especially I would say around melt and security he was focusing on on minimalistic pop music to where it's it's he was being influenced by crowd rock and world music to where it's it's more about a repetitive beat that puts you almost in a trance hmm. i don't know if this one put me in a trance but it was repetitive yeah but for me, it's the good. I, that sounds bad, but like for me, it's the good repetitive mm-hmm. because I just I get lost in this song, and you know, it's not a song that I ever want to like play to. It's not even a song that's as much fun to sing along to, but it's a it's good a good to listen to. It's a great song to just kind of get lost in. Okay, yeah, and that's I why that. I really I love this song. Mm-hmm. Like anytime it comes on, I turn it up, mm. and you know, again, I'm not as much listening to the verse chorus structure. It's it's, again, it's just like, just jamming out. Yeah. So, that's why I like this song. 
I don't have very much to say about this song. Yeah, again, it's minimalistic, so there's um, not as many parts to talk about. <laughs> and we definitely need more time for some of the other songs. Mm-hmm. So I think we should go ahead and move on to the next song. We are on his first album. Yes, we are. Car, and this song is Salisbury Hill. Yes, this was his this was his first solo hit. And this is where we talked about the guitar playing. Yes, this is probably the first time in the set where the guitar playing kind of comes to the front. Yeah, and it, it, I we mentioned earlier that the guitar playing never really comes to the front. It does in the intro of this song. Yes, it, it kind of starts and with then guitar, as, drums, bass. As we go through the song, kind of the, everything starts to get more it gets distorted more layered and, layered. and yeah, yeah. Um, this song, to me at least, I know I've not heard it before. Mm-hmm. There's no way I've heard it before. Um, well, okay, I, I shouldn't say there's no way I've heard it before. This song has been used in a lot of movies, but I. It has a familiarity about it. Mm-hmm. Just the way that the guitar is written. Yeah. Especially because it's a melodic guitar line, but mm-hmm. it's of chords. Uh-huh. And that's something that's very hard to do. And so I, I super respect the guitar writing on this because that is one of the most hard things to do in guitar. And if you're a guitarist, you would know that. And I know Lucas knows that. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just had to have that little tidbit in there. Okay. Yeah. So we got we got also a really funky rhythm in this song, with um, it being in seven. Ooh, wait, wait! It's in seven. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two. Oh, it is. Yeah. I didn't even know that. I it even just, counted it for you while we were it, listening to it, it the first time. It just felt right. Yeah, and that's again. Oh, you did! Oh my gosh, you did! Huh? Yep. <laughs> So I you just, can. This is one that I would get lost in. Yes. So this is a song that you can tell that the last thing he was doing was Genesis, where you know it's a bit. This is a bit more of a prog song, but at the same time, it's very simple and straightforward. But that that having that seven in there is kind of showing that he he know, can he still got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that he hadn't fully shed that part of himself yet. Mm-hmm. And that's what the whole song's about. Really, it's about. Letting go of where you came from and being ready to take the next step into the unknown. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that this song is one that can lend itself to multiple meanings. I've heard it talk about that this is, you know, grab your things, I'm kind of take you home is a religious statement. Like it's the rapture. That's what my dad has always told me that what he thinks the song's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people are saying it's specifically about him leaving Genesis and going on, mm-hmm. on his own for the first time. Mm-hmm. talks about um i walked right out of the machinery like the music machinery the machinery mm-hmm. of being in a band mm-hmm. my friends think that i was a nut turning water, water into wine, wine yeah saying but you know you were the head of one of the biggest prog bands of the time and you left at the height of their popularity mm-hmm. you know what are you doing right um cutting uh cutting ties that sh- or I can't remember exactly uh, how the... I, that's that's one of the few lyrics I actually ever paid attention to was yeah. the friends all think I was in that mm-hmm. line. Um, but just talking about just he's cutting his ties from where he was to make a bold statement about where he's now going as a solo artist. Right, yeah. Um, I, I quite frankly did not pay very much attention to the meaning of this song mm-hmm. because I... 
only heard that line and the grab your things, I'm going to take you home. And I'm like, oh, it's like a song about going home. Yeah. And, and again, my heart that. going boom, boom, boom. It's uh-huh. the, it's the, it's the, the fear and the anxiety of stepping into something you don't know where mm. it's going. Mm-hmm. It's the nervousness. The Okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but here we go. So what is Salisbury Hill then? Salisbury Hill is a place that he went to. I can't remember where it is, but it's a place where he felt like he did have a spiritual experience. I think that, that the, the place is metaphorical in the theme of the song of just being at this significant mountaintop where you see where you've been and you kind of see where you're going right oh i know that feeling yeah i know that feeling very well Mm -hmm. um so it's you know we've come to the top of the mountain now it's time to go down and see what's on the other side right and so which is always a great experience i think he's i think he's drawing from a real experience to lend to a metaphorical message Hmm. which again i think is brilliant yeah no, that's that's lyrically super intelligent, mm-hmm. as we've seen with the previous songs as well. Yeah. Uh, I would say that this song is what allowed him to build steam throughout his solo career. Mm-hmm. This helped him to get that cult audience quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this song wasn't very successful in America, but it was a, I want to say it was a top 10 hit in the UK, mm. because Genesis was a highly regarded band. When he was the front man in England, you know, they, they were held in high esteem, even though they weren't a radio band. And so a lot of people knew Peter Gabriel, Mm -hmm. um, just again, not as much in America. So is when he broke on an international level, big, especially in America. Mm -hmm. Um, this is like all these songs, it, it lends yourself or lends oneself to like an experience. I always, uh, when the song came on, like I pictured like a campfire, like kind of everyone around, kind of like yeah. singing the song together, kind uh-huh. of thing. Even though there's a lot of layering as you get into the song, mm-hmm. it almost gets a little ominous towards the end. There's, there's yes. kind of like these 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 sound effects that come in that almost like sound like monsters screaming and. And like animals, it's it gets Peter Gabriel. He's he's using his voice in a way where he's he's kind of making some disturbing noises. I don't know what that means for the theme of the song. <laughs> if it's um, it's going into the you know the dark, the darkness of the future, or I don't know, I don't or know. him just being like, hey, I want to do this. This is a great just, song to do it. <laughs> again, he is still carrying over some of the really weird aspects of his songwriting right. from Genesis. Hearing the outro of that song, I'm just like, that's totally from his Genesis time. Hmm. Okay. Something we wouldn't see him continue on with as he progressed through his solo career. Mm-hmm. This song was another candidate for my favorite song. It's really Because good. of the guitar nuances. But there just wasn't enough in this song compared to Big, big Time yeah. to push it to number to one. take it away. Another song that, look at this transition, another uh-huh. song... That was almost my number one, just because of the sound engineering. Oh. Is Red Rain this is the, probably the best sounding song on the off, album? Yes, off of so. So this is actually the song that starts off the album. That's a good start. Okay, I can see it's it. It's a really cool way to start it, but I just didn't want to start my set with it because it's a lot, you know, yeah. 
deeper and Imagine, slower. so the way that so actually starts is red rain into sledgehammer. Hmm. I mean, this the set of these songs that you put together is very linear yes. as far as high energy down to low energy. Uh-huh. And then there's the big conclusion with the next song, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, and this lends itself very well into leading into that song. Yes, it does. While also standing on its own super well. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, this this song is just it's this was a song that that I would say it benefited the most from Sledgehammer's Breaking Down the Wall because this was kind of like the true pop masterpiece on that record mm-hmm. as far as just the work that went into it. Um they did 30 different takes of the drums and spliced together bar by bar the hmm. uh what they like the most out of it so that talk that's painstaking work doing that on tape yeah i mean doing it digitally you know in the studio today is not that bad yeah but um oh my goodness <laughs> yeah that would be Woo. also we have the return of Stuart copeland here um uh, oh yeah police guy but he is only playing the hi-hat he's not doing the snare and the Tom fills. That is weird. He's literally just sitting in the studio hitting the hi-hat. But the hi-hat track on this is so good, especially the way that it starts. And I remember before I officially learned hearing this song and going, that sounds like the police. Hmm. Because uh, I would say that Stuart Copeland is the best hi-hat player of all time. The way that he, the way that he's able to, um, to make the hi-hat, Almost a melodic instrument, right? Is incredible, right? Turn it, turn it into its own thing, separate from the rest of the drum set. Yes, you know where it's not part of a bigger entity. Have you never really listened to the Police? I no, Ooh. not really. Like, um, you, we're gonna need to get you some Police in your life. Oh boy, you need to listen to that episode and listen to the songs that go with it because <laughs> the Police were they were one of the best okay. ever. Okay. And Stuart Copeland is one of the biggest reasons of that. He's right. one of the greatest drummers to ever live. That's what I've heard. So I, I guess wanna, I want to say, like in Rolling Stones, like, lit, and I don't always trust their list, yeah. but they put Stuart Copeland in, like the top ten. Huh. And I was like, "Yep, I agree with that." Huh? He he was so versatile, but. Yeah, that's really good if you can get called in just to play the hi-hat because you play the hi-hat so well. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling while they're there, it's just like, hey, why don't you just come over and play on this song big time while you're here? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so this is probably the most 80s-sounding, atmospheric song of the set. Yes, but at the same time, it doesn't... Like, it's so dark. Like, I, you look at the other pop it makes, songs... It sounds like... The night. Yes, it does. Like it sounds like Tarzan. Also, um, <laughs> what uh, which is funny because Phil Collins did that. Right, Phil Collins did Tarzan. Music. Yeah. So, what do you think Red Rain is? Um, I think it's, um, uh, well, okay, it's either like Raining Blood, which, funny enough, this album came out the same year that Slayer's Raining Blood did. Look at that. We had or, two Raining Blood songs. Or it's like a red rain as like there's some kind of like turmoil 
and like there's like anger or like red, like the color red, mm -hmm. as far as like an emotion. Yeah. And it's, but you're, there's also a deep sadness. You're you're now learning that things are not always as they right. as they seem. So, and I would not have guessed that had I not talked with you about the previous songs. So this song is actually mostly based on a nightmare that he had, where he uh, he says that the red rain isn't blood specifically, mm -hmm. but that it's hard to not think of it as blood. He didn't intend for it to be blood, but it's what you look back on it, you're just like, it has to be blood. Mm -hmm. But I can't remember everything, but the dream that he says that this is based off is so bizarre. Mm -hmm. And that he woke up and just had to write it down. And that's what the, I've had the skeleton like that. of that is. Oh my is. goodness, yeah. There was something about like... Um, like the the rain would fill like these clear bottles and you would stick the bottles into a wall and it would drain out the other side. It's, it's just like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Normally dreams have meaning and then his dreams are bad. I Good think man. that what he's, he's using the dream just not really to say something specific, but just tell a story to, or to just give an experience to create a mood and an emotion. I think he's more of just, uh, okay. he's, because he's trying to capture how he felt in the dream, which yeah. was despair and, and horror. He, and he did that. And sadness. And I think that that was the most important thing to get across in the song. Mm -hmm. He uh, did very well at that. Yeah. And so to have that as a hit song in 1986, mm -hmm. I think is just showing how people were brought into the Peter Gabriel fold and were then willing to go, okay, yeah, we love this song too. Right. I think had that been the leadoff single, it wouldn't have been near as big. Hmm. Just because I think it's not what, even though the sounds were normal for what people, I think having a song that dark and that foreboding sounding mm -hmm. to be a hit single, right? Uh, yeah. I think that that would have been hard without Sledgehammer kind of paving the way. Um. But this yeah. was this was the other this this was the other at the time big song off that album. Mm -hmm. I uh, can see big why. time was a hit, but it wasn't as big as Red Rain and Sledgehammer were. And then there was another song off that album that we'll look at next time we go to Pigaver with that mm. wasn't a hit at the time, but mm. has retroactively become maybe even bigger than Sledgehammer to become his defining song. Hmm. Okay, I'm curious to learn about. That. Yes, but um, yeah. this. This song, this is um, shows a lot about his guitar player's um, ability to be able to craft guitar sounds. Because mm -hmm. towards the end, everything kind of fades out, and it's left with just Peter Gabriel's voice, a guitar, and like a little bit of synth, like see, extra. I would, see, flavor. I actually, that's actually, I think, believe that's piano playing in the end. The the little dun dun dun. dun, dun that's that's guitar, right there. That is classic 80s guitar. See, the thing is, when right I hear that there. outro, the main thing I hear besides the voice is this big, booming piano. Boom. Dun, dun, dun. The very bright sound. He says as he thumps on the table with the mic yeah. on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm smart. <laughs> um, but that ending is so good. Where it just, everything kind of fades out and he it gets really intimate and it gets really, really sad. Well, okay, I'll just we'll have to listen to it after the set, and I'll show you what I mean. Where okay, the, where the guitar comes it could be that I it think just... you're thinking about something a little bit later. Oh, okay. 
Are you are you hearing? No, of, I don't. Just... Everything's big, and then it kind of fades first, and then there's the guitar, and then it fades into the piano. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I think. I it could be that just my brain's never noticed it before. Okay. Because I'm listening That's the first to other thing I parts. Because it sounds like. Um, uh, oh, uh, I just want to use your love. Your... Yeah, that one. It sounds that like that guitar sound. Um, but oh, I had something else to say about this song. But anyways, if you have anything to say, no, just that uh, the way that this song ends sets us up very nicely for the the final oh, song of the set. I remember the way it ends. It sounds like he's congested almost. Yeah, and almost kind of almost sounds like he's he's drowning in a way, huh? In in the red red sea. Okay, well that's because, pretty smart <laughs> because the, because he's talking about red rain the whole time, and, and finally at the end he's now saying it's a red. That means the it's rained for so long that now it's a flood. Oh, and here comes the flood, which is the that next in, song. That was intentional. That was. I, I knew that was intentional, why you put those songs there, and I knew you were going to do that. Um, Here Comes the Flood is the final song of this set by Peter Gabriel. This is, I would um, say, the deepest cut It's of off this. of Car. Yep, because this, so, this was not, early. this was the only one that I would say wasn't released as a single. Hmm. This probably has the best chorus. The chorus is so good. I would say. Um standalone chorus. If you're just to cut out the chorus of every song, this one has the best chorus. Hmm. Um, just on a melodic and harmonic sense. Yeah. Obviously, rhythmically, it's a little weird, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it doesn't get you moving and grooving like Big Time or Sledgehammer or no, something not like that. Too. But it's, it's meant to be a... It's also sing-along. It's meant to be a big old power ballad. Oh, yeah. It certainly is. Um, it The song starts off kind of creepy mm-hmm. in a way. I would say, but it never really comes back to that. Yeah. Um, so, I guess you should share a little bit. Yes, yeah, so um, <laughs> so Peter Gabriel doesn't like this song. Or really? at least he doesn't like this version of the song. Oh. He didn't like how overblown it got, and how big it got. And really? Because that's the best part? See, I disagree with him. I really love how it sounds. Mm-hmm. But that's just, it's not what his original vision for it was. And you know about that, how, you know, whether or not the end product was better, they still wanted to be how they envisioned it to be. Right. Paul McCartney was famous for that. Mm-hmm. That's why he doesn't like most of the Let It Be album. Because mm. that's not what the songs were originally meant to sound like. Okay. Even though I think they sound better mm-hmm. as they are. But he's re-recorded this song of just him and the piano. That's actually originally how I heard the song, because that's what mm. appears on his Greatest Hits compilation, mm. is the re-recorded piano version. And it's really good. It's very intimate. Um, it's You can tell he did it later in his career, so he's got his more mature voice. Right. It's very deep and husky and just very personal sounding. But then I heard the original version when I got this album on vinyl. Mm. And was listen. I had never listened to that album before. I just knew that oh, this is the album that has Salisbury Hill on it. And I found it for like three bucks used in a record store. I was like, sure, I'll get this. And I remember that came on, and the verse star. I was like, wait, I know this song. And then the chorus came. And I was just like, 
this is better. I like this a lot more. Hmm. So okay, that's kind of been my I can see that experience with this song. I like the the fact that you don't expect. Well, okay, you expect kind of a bigger chorus the way he's building it up to it, but you don't expect it at that moment. Yes, all of a sudden, it's almost everything like, rushes in at once. It's almost like a jump like scare, like a flood. Exactly. <laughs> So it is certainly dumpster. It actually kind of made me jump a little bit when um, we were listening to it initially. And I almost wasn't expecting it when I was listening to it on my own over and over again. Mm-hmm. It took me one or two or three listens before I was expecting when it was going to happen. I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. pee myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but the way he does a little bit of chord finagling in the chorus mm-hmm. um, with different voicings and augmented and diminished stuff there's a lot of dissonance and a lot of release and it's so well done mm-hmm. but there's a little bit of, i think there's like a six four at the end of the chorus it sounds like um which is something that's that rarely happens in pop obviously mm-hmm. um because you want to finish the chorus and go right back into the verse yeah and I, I kind of respect that because he wants to do a little bit of chord climbing mm-hmm. if you listen to the, the melody. Um, and this is obviously me rambling right now uh, because I do that same kind of thing too is when I'm writing courses, I love to have a little bit of something else at the end to make the listener go, huh, that was nice and pleasant, and then go back into the verse. Yeah. This is a prime example of that. So um, there, there's my rambling about the course. Yeah. <laughs> this... Uh... This song is just such a climactic way to finish everything. Because, yeah, oh, like is. you said, we kind of we have a bit of a linear direction that we're moving with this set. Yes. You know, mm. it's not as much about up, down, up, down. Yeah. As some other sets do. Or, like, right. you Molly know, Crew we, was very, you know, up, mm-hmm. down, up, down. Like how, you know, I, I felt like I broke the mode a little bit of we put our sad song second to last and then have a big, happy one, our redemption song. Mm-hmm. At the end, Mm -hmm. this is just, you know, kind of we're building all the way to this moment. Mm -hmm. And that chorus is just the perfect thing to feel at the end of the set. The lyrics, too, because he says, like, here comes the flood, say goodbye to something. Flesh and blood. Yeah. So it's kind of like a goodbye song. Drink up, dreamers, you're running dry. Right. So um, whether it's like a sad goodbye, I think it's meant to be a sad goodbye. I think so, but at the same right. time, I think it's a... Um, In this set, it's a happy goodbye. Yeah, and I think it's also meant... It's it's almost an apocalyptic song, I feel. I can see it. I yep. feel that there's a lot of spiritual undertone to it. Mm-hmm. That it's a... You know, it's almost like we're washing, finally, all of the filth away, and mm-hmm. we're going to be left clean, but at the same time, you know, it's going to take us all with it. Right. We're going to lose ourselves in the flood, but things will be better once the flood is gone. Right. So, um, absolutely amazing chorus. Lots of weird chord changes. I'm really glad that you enjoyed this set. I did Makes enjoy me happy. this set. It, it's definitely outside of my wheel well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about on, on, I think the previous episode was Motley Crue, right? Yeah. And we talked a lot about how that's my music that I usually listen to. Mm-hmm. You know, Motley Crue, Metallica, Megadeth, that 80s metal stuff. Yeah. This is totally outside of that, and I loved it, because Peter Gabriel is a musician. And we could talk about a, more of that in the final thoughts, and I'm already getting to the final thoughts. Yes. But, so, okay. um, 
We're going to take a small break. When we come back, we're going to give those final thoughts as well as talk about our bonus song. Yes. So stay with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. This episode, we've been talking about Peter Gabriel, and we just finished talking about the songs. Just to recap, those songs were Big Time, Sledgehammer, Shock the Monkey, Salisbury Hill, Red Rain, and Here Comes the Flood. Again, There's a link in the description to a Spotify playlist where you can go check out those incredible songs. But yes. now let's talk about our bonus Absolutely song. Absolutely incredible. So, um, bonus song. What do we mean by bonus song? So bonus song is from an artist that I wouldn't give my, their own episode to, but still have a song or two that deserves to be listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, don't think of these songs as the songs themselves are less good or important, but rather just because... You're not going to hear them on here any other way than if I just give a small little segment to that song. Right. And a lot of times I like for there to be some sort of connection to the main artist and for there to be that kind of relationship to where it's not just I'm pulling some random song from right. somewhere. Right. So this bonus song is Everywhere, Everywhere I, I Go by The Call. Yes. Um, comparatively... Again, kind of like the ghost episode, I would say this is not near as good as the Peter Gabriel song. No, I mean, it's really hard to match the quality of Peter Gabriel. Right. Um, But it was still a really good song. And it also had a kind of a familiar aspect to it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I might have heard it before, but I can't remember ever hearing it before. Especially that guitar line. Yeah, this is a song that, unfortunately, has just been buried by the sands of time. Mm. The only way I know about this this song and this album, I've heard the whole album, is that my dad really liked it when it came out and gave me the CD uh, back in the day. I remember listening to it and I was just like, oh, this is a really underrated, great record. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason I picked this song right. and this album is because this is a band that opened for Peter Gabriel during the 80s. And who Peter Gabriel had a very strong connection to, and even at one point said that they were the future of pop music. Oh, and then they... Uh, uh, then not quite. Not quite. But also... That'd be cool if they were. <laughs> but he did lend background vocals to this song. Ooh. Okay. So I really was digging to try and figure out what bonus song, because there were a couple others I was thinking about, but then I was like, no, I could do full episodes on this band or this right. artist. Mm-hmm. And or I, it would be better. I could think of a different artist that this would be a better bonus song for. Right. And then I was just researching it. I came across that little tidbit. I was like, "That's it," because yep. I know this song. Uh-huh. This is the only time I'd probably ever talk about this song, so <laughs> I'm going to use it here. Right. Um, this song has a kind of a fast drum beat. Yeah. But it still seems dynamically low. Yes. This is uh, this is very restrained song yeah it almost it it brings memory of shock the monkey to me as far as just yeah the way that the parts are kind of doing the same thing over but Mm -hmm. it's at this it's more creating the mood the Mm -hmm. the feeling of the song 
Because again, that yeah. guitar line is kind of just playing that over and over again throughout the song. For some reason, this reminds me of either Death Wish 4 or Predator 2. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't really decide which one, but something about the energy or the feel or how the instruments go together and create some kind of atmosphere because there is time-based effects. Mm -hmm. um, it was the 80s. Yeah. Um, that just make me think about that. And both of those movies are very action-packed, yeah. and maybe that has something to do with the drum beat, but that's the feeling I get from it. Okay. Um, and there's a little bit of almost, for lack of a better term, grungy backing vocals. And the fact that they're yeah. kind of lazy, they're yeah. not really focused on harmony, they're just kind of there. That was kind of an 80s thing. Hmm. Um, his voice was used by a lot of other um, more successful 80s bands. Peter just kind Gabriel. of... Or... No, like, I, I think of, you know, um, Modern English or mm. um, almost Talking Heads kind of sound to it. Okay. Those are bands we'll talk about another time. Okay. Yeah, because I listened to either Especially of those. Talking Heads. Okay. Um, that was kind of a, 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 a popular singing style of the 80s. If it wasn't really, really high, then it was usually in that register. Hmm. Okay. So there's not a whole lot to say about this song, but it's it's a song that I definitely feel that people should, and a band that people should know more about. Yeah. The, the Call. It's a, it's a song that's worth a listen, if nothing exactly. else. Exactly, and that's the whole point of the bonus so, song. That's the whole point of this whole podcast, really. Exactly. So, um, that being said, give those songs a listen, and I think it's time for final thoughts. Yes. So I'm going to have you give final thoughts first, because mine are probably more interesting, because I've actually listened to this artist for the first time. So. Yes. So, it's hard for me to have my appreciation for Peter Gabriel go up, because it's already so high. Right. Like, I've, I talk about my four pillars mm -hmm. and how the reason I have four instead of five is because I can never decide on a fifth. Mm -hmm. Peter Gabriel could fit that fifth spot for mm -hmm. me, depending on the, the day and time. the best what? As, no, just as my fifth favorite band. Okay. Okay. So, just like, if I were to say, what are your top five favorite bands? I'd always say those four first. And then I'm like, depending I, on like the I time of day or like what you had for lunch. Yeah, like it could be, it could be Metallica, it could be the Beatles, it could be Peter Gabriel. Uh, it could be Peter Gabriel. You know, there's there's several bands, Dream Theater. Oh yeah. Um, Muse, that that can <laughs> that can fit in that that spot. Right. And so, because of that, my, I feel like my appreciation for Peter Gabriel is already so far up here that I was just like, it's not going to go up researching for this, right. but it was still really fun to. Right. And it was really fun to introduce you to all these songs. Yes, yeah, for the first time. Yeah. So. so it's kind of rare where we get a set where you haven't heard every song. Usually you'll be like, oh, I've heard that one song. Right. I was not able to guess the artist at all. I mean, I knew it was Genesis, Phil Collins kind of thing, because mm -hmm. it's very distinct. Yeah. Um, this, I think, was the first set we had where I actually started sending people songs. And yes! it, was it was specifically big time that I kept sending to people. I mean, listen to this song. It's such a good song. Um, and my appreciation of Red Rain has also increased, and so I'm probably going to end up sending that to all my friends who like 80s music 
Um, you should check. You should check out all of So. So, I probably will. That's probably going to end up happening. I'm going to try to keep myself from doing that. So then, when I finally do, I'll have the full experience, and mm-hmm. I'll really appreciate it. Um, I did that with Pantera, and I really love Pantera. Um, but obviously, I had not heard Peter Gabriel before, mm-hmm. and. So knowing this style of music and knowing that I like kind of this '80s synth pop, there's the right, for lack of a there's term. the right pocket of '80s yes, music. It's the it's the right kind of pop, just like the Killers. It's the right kind of pop. So that means you also need to go check out our Tears for Fears episode, okay? Because you would love Tears for Fears. I mean, I oh, I don't know. I don't know if I like Everybody Wants to Rule the World. You know, I don't really like that song. You you need to hear it with some new ears. But if if there's I'll probably listen to the other songs then. Um, That being said, going from not knowing him to immediately loving him as a musician, I think, is my final thought. Awesome. That I love his songwriting. Would you you say this is the best new artist you've discovered so far? I think this is... Oh, well, let me think for a second. Because, I mean, the killers I had already known about... Um, and I think this is actually the first that'll, artist. That'll count. If you I think this is the first artist that I had never actually known existed. Okay. Um, and so, uh, the doors were very close to me not knowing they existed. Mm-hmm. Um, I had not heard any of their songs, I think. Okay. I think I said that. Yeah. Um, but I would say this is probably the fastest growing appreciation that I've had for an artist. And probably the highest change in appreciation that I've had between first listening to them and when we recorded the podcast. I mean, obviously my appreciation for you too has gone up since recording, mm-hmm. um, and ghost as well. Um, but yes, I appreciate Peter Gabriel right now more than I did ghost or Led Zeppelin or you two or the killers. Yes, and that makes me very happy. So I'm very excited to listen to the rest of his stuff when I finally get around to it. Um, I would consider myself a Peter Gabriel fan. Good, good. <laughs> yes. We're so, gonna, okay, we're, final thought. Yeah, we're going to come back to him on right. another episode. And I, I'm going to do a very unique episode with that as well. Because okay. there's a specific thing that I want to do with it. And I was strategic on what songs I picked because there were certain songs I really wanted to save. I already... Have it planned out what songs I'm going to do next time. <laughs> Master plan. Yes. <laughs> I do that with some bands. I kind of, I don't just think about what songs do I want, but what songs do I have for next time that I can make another great set. Right. I don't want to, you know, blow it all on the first one and then go, well, now I've got just like the B-sides left. Right. So, okay. So, yeah, that's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, don't forget to leave us a review. Leave us a rating. And uh, hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes that come out every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. So uh, check us out. I actually secretly name-dropped next uh, next week's band. Somewhere in this episode. Somewhere in this episode. I just mentioned <laughs> their name. So uh, let's see who can figure out who it was. <laughs> uh, you'll know by next week. <laughs> Grant is very excited about next week's I episode. I am very excited. And uh, also check out our Facebook page and our brand new Instagram page. We're going to be having a lot of fun with that. So um, I got to go follow that Instagram page. Yeah. <laughs>
And uh, also in the link, there's links in every episode where you can not only find our Spotify playlist, right. but also send us a monthly donation to help us grow the podcast and help us get to that worldwide status. So until next time, I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.